0: The Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix is today. Plus we have a fun conversation on sports and culture with Peter Rosenberg later in the show. It's Friday, November 17th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter and this is Front Office Sports Today. Las Vegas Grand Prix should be a unique spectacle, and Formula One is committed to making this more than a quick fling. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports Newsletter co-author David Rumsey. Welcome, David. Hey, Owen. Hey, so what kinds of long-term investments is Formula One and Liberty Media making in Las Vegas?
1: I think the biggest thing that I've seen is this permanent paddock that they've built uh, right outside the Las Vegas strip. That's going to cost something like $500 million so that it's going to be not just a a center for race day for the teams to build their cars and, you know, during the race itself, but it's going to be a every day, 365 day of the year feature for fans to come experience formula one in Las Vegas. Uh, They want to have a a long-term presence there and really build out fans in Las Vegas relating to Formula One as they continue to build fans in North America beyond the Miami race, the race in Austin. There's also races in Canada, Mexico. So Vegas is a big priority for Formula One.
0: Yeah, and that's I think especially notable at a time when Formula One is, you know, phasing out some of its more iconic European locations or saying you're going to be in on a more rotational basis. With with Vegas, they they want this Ongoing presence and are willing to invest up front, maybe not make money in the first year to to make this happen. Um, you spoke to someone on the Formula One side of this. Uh, what what kind of sense did you get in terms of how they see Vegas?
1: Yeah, so some of the leadership with the Las Vegas Grand Prix, which is a really unique operation in that it's promoted by Formula One itself. So they just have these executives who came from the F1 office over in the UK and are now working on this Las Vegas Grand Prix as opposed to other races that might have more local organizers, which that that alone tells you what kind of investment F1 is making in Vegas. But, you know, there's a multi-year contract to hold the race in Las Vegas, despite some maybe disgruntled fans or locals that would like to see it be a one and done. You know, that's not going to happen. There's too much money invested here but it's it's going to get easier i think well you know we talked about the permanent paddock they have that's going to bring in some revenue and maybe be a cool thing for locals or visitors tourists to do when they're in town but but also you know they had to repave all this uh, streets around the strip for this race they're not going to have to repave it every single year so this massive construction delays and, you know, movements around the city that people have been complaining about, you know, justly and fairly, I would say that's not going to be the case every single year. Of course, there's going to be a significant setup with grandstands and things like that. But I, I do think it's going to get easier. And at least that's what Formula One is hoping. So we'll see when it gets to next fall, if the run up is any easier, though.
0: We hit on the show earlier how the tickets are still likely to be the most expensive F1 race of the year, but not quite what they were hoping for. They've dropped by about half since a year ago, and most of that is just in the last month. What factors do you see uh, leading to that, that drop?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest is that the F1 season is practically over, right? There's still some standings to be determined between, you know, lower places on the grid, but Red Bull has won the team championship. Max Verstappen has won the driver's championship. You know, we don't have that drama of several years ago when you had Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, Mercedes and Red Bull going down to the final race, you know, separated by mere points, anything could happen. So this race, the Las Vegas Grand Prix, is just a spectacle, but it's it's still going to draw some interest, right? But, but unfortunately, on the ground, it's going to be really cold there. You know, Vegas is out in the desert. It can happen as we get closer to these winter months. And then, you know, for any East Coasters like myself, this race is going to be starting at 1 a.m. Eastern time. So yeah. I know it's a Saturday night. I guess it'll technically be Sunday morning. But man, like even going to an event 10 p.m. local time, you know, that's a late night. I know it's Vegas and, you know, fights start late at night there. So it kind of fits into the bill for the city. But I'm going to be really interested to see, you know, how much people actually care about this, given all those factors.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'll be watching long term, you know, what prices do they set the tickets at? But also, yeah, do they adjust the time? Do, do they keep it a Saturday race? It's That's a unique part of it. You know, they always race Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This is Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So yeah, they're doing a lot that's different here. I imagine they'll probably just keep most of it. But, um, but yeah, I, I wonder if there will be some course correction, so to speak, um, going forward as they adjust this, you know, given that it is a long term commitment.
1: Yeah. And I do like the night race. I think that's really cool. I think Vegas, you kind of think of it being at night, right? Like it wouldn't look the same driving on the strip in the bright sunlight middle of the day. But man, does it have to be 10 o'clock at night where, you know, the sun goes (laughs) down at five o'clock local time? So, you know, I always think when I first saw it, I was like, wait, 10 p.m., local time or eastern time because if it was 10 p.m eastern time it'd still be dark at 7 p.m
0: local time But hey what
1: what do i know you know i'm not getting paid the big bucks to uh, organize a formula one race
0: yeah it's one of those things where clearly they thought this through but but it does seem a little odd what they came up with uh david rumsey thanks so much for joining us thanks Owen. on thursday mlb owners voted to approve the relocation of the oakland days to las vegas the team can now move on to things like figuring out what their new stadium will look like and where they will play between 2025 and 2027, the three years between when their current lease expires and when the new stadium will be ready to play in. As president Dave Cavill, and on the rare occasions that we hear from him, team owner John Fisher, have been pushing the narrative that they tried for 18 years to make it work in Oakland. What they actually mean is that the team tried to move to Fremont, San Jose, another site in Oakland. They explored just building a new stadium where they already are until finally settling on Howard Terminal in 2018. For Fisher, the stadium was just an entry point to a $12 billion development. The team wanted the city to raise $350 million for infrastructure costs. Oakland raised $375 million and had another $100 million or so pending in grants on the way. And that was good because the pandemic and other inflationary factors drove Oakland's price tag up 62% to $567 million. They're close on the funding and very close on a slew of agreements with the team. But if Oakland's costs went up 62%, what about the A's? Following the same ratio, their bill would be just under $20 billion. Are they moving because Oakland was too slow, or is that they were getting to the finish line and the A's couldn't afford their own project? There are people who would buy the team and keep them in Oakland, with or without the giant development around a new stadium. But for John Fisher, it's more important that he keeps the A's than Oakland does. Up next, I spoke with Peter Rosenberg, who is someone you might know if you're a fan of MMA or of the Washington Commanders, or you might know him from the hip hop world, or maybe you've tuned into his new show, Over the Top with Michelle Beadle. We talked about how those various parts of the culture intersect and overlap. I really enjoyed our chat, and that's coming up right after this. All right, very excited to be joined now by Peter Rosenberg, co-host of Over the Top. Welcome, Peter
2: hey thanks for having me
0: great to have you on the show so yeah over the top uh you just launched this uh podcast with Michelle Beetle tell me the story here
2: well essentially um I have about a thousand jobs and my uh, a friend of mine was telling me about a show he was working on with Beetle and they kind of expressed that I would be a, a good fit for said job you know blah 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 but they know how busy I am and so they were talking to other people, I think. I, I, and, and then at some point they came back around and were just like, Hey, would this actually be a possibility? And I, I said, uh, maybe let's, uh, let's see, you know? And then you get the, the classic answer for anyone who's interested in pursuing uh, podcasting or radio, you get this, well, how's the money? Well, listen, the money's not going to change your life. Okay. It's not life changing money not life changing that's like my everyone's favorite line for everything i said you let me decide what's life changing sir and yeah i'll let you know and uh anyways we were able to figure it out and it was a reason to to get to talk to beatle every week um and we've known each other uh forever from she's one of my first friends from espn um so yeah that was it and i was like oh and it's it's, a, it's sort of wrestling themed in, in in feel and i was like let's let's do it
0: Right, and it's wrestling themed in format, not always content, right? It's no, like- not
2: in content at all, really, so far. I mean, it'll pop up just because Beatle and I both love wrestling, but yeah, it, it's only in format, this this Royal Rumble style thing where kind of take uh, debate topics and see which one can make it through an entire Royal Rumble of a show, and in theory, then you figured out what the most interesting thing of that week is. So it's a, it's a really fun concept, and it just gives Beatle and I an excuse to talk about a lot of random stuff, which her and I are sort of apt to do naturally as people. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a pretty cool fit.
0: Yeah. And you know, I've listened to what I think is your first and so far only episode. Um, and you know, the topics are all over the place that it's like different sports, but also just moments that some sort of touch the sports world. Uh, you're someone who, you know, you're, you're very much in, in sports, but also, you know, you're in the hip hop world. You're a little bit all over the place is, is, is it all kind of one big smorgasbord of cultural stuff or, or it is, is sports still kind of its own thing for you when you think about the kind of broader cultural landscape?
2: Uh, that's a good question. Um, so I I think of them sort of separately because, you know, I was having this conversation with my father yesterday where talking sort of about the state of the world and things that are going on and, my dad was just sort of like my dad, who's very involved and in, has spent his whole life sort of involved in um, Middle East stuff. Was kind of like, God, wouldn't it be nice if you just didn't talk about anything political? Like you just did sports full time, like you just didn't even have to deal with it. And I said, Well, yeah, I hear that. I was like, But honestly, sports sports gets a little boring. Like I I say that as someone who loves sports and 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 works for ESPN very proudly and uh loves the show I do on with with Michael Kay and Don LaGreca here in New York. But like when we have days where like we never leave sports, those days to me are only good if there's like really a pressing topic in sports that's fascinating. And usually that's because it's something that goes beyond sports. <laughs> like it's it's something that has a cultural extension. When it's really like Balls and strikes and and first downs and touchdowns all the time. You have certain times of year when that's really good. But to do that 365 days a year and not have the opportunity to get into other stuff, to me is not ideal. You know, and and the cool thing about us doing a local sports talk show is like we don't have the same our situation is not the same as being a talent on ESPN television nationally. Like we certainly, you know, we don't spend a lot of time on politics and things like that. But we have flexibility to sort of weave in and out of more personal stuff. It's the beauty of sort of the, the format um, and the way that we do the format. So, yeah, I guess I don't think of it all being the same thing. Because when you, when you really get into just the nuts and bolts of sports... I think it could be sort of lacking with without the cultural piece, and a lot of people they they separate it; they just do sports, and I just don't think that'll ever be for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's
0: that meta topic of like, what are we talking about here exactly? You know, we we kind of inevitably come back to that, you know, on this show and just in this industry, because even if you just want to do sports. There are times when, um, when, when sports breaks through into other topics and it's like, okay, well, now we're talking about this. And, yeah, obviously politics is its own thing because then you're, you're d- dividing people into camps or people are already divided into those camps. Um, and so, so that gets tricky. Uh, but now we live in this world where athletes have direct access to their fans it's not mediated through the media through through interviews through you know some people you know obviously keep their beliefs to themselves and some don't and so sometimes you you have to grapple with you know i, I mean kyrie irving was like a whole story last year that i got incredibly exhausted with but you can't avoid that even if you're just trying to you know be your, an espn writer and say you know here's what happened to the brooklyn nets now the dallas mavericks last right. night um, you you are you, uh, you you're not going to get away from that topic. And, and that happens, you know, at least a handful of times per year um, and more if you're really getting into it.
2: Yeah. It, it, Kyrie, great example. And of course being in New York, I mean, just constantly. And, and again, puts you in a weird spot where you feel like you're beating someone up, but some, they're saying things that are ridiculous and like, you're just kind of in a damned if you do. And now you're like, as you're aging too, right? like, I'm in my 40s now. You you sort of feel like I'm talking about a guy, you know, who's 30. I'm 44. I'm like browbeating this young athlete with, you know, and we all of course feel the same way about this, you know, a particular subject. You feel like you're three dudes just browbeat. It just can end up being a really annoying. But at the same time, you know, it's a treasure trove. And and the greedy part of us as as people who talk for a living, is like, I, well, I, well, it gives, it's easy. Right. We're not fresh. Right. then you to don't general- have to just
0: say, you know, he he had three pointers last night. And, you know, I guess we'll talk about that some more. Like, you know, it, it gives yeah, you something. It's more
2: fun in a certain way. But, right. like, it's also, yeah. And you're looking at these third rails that are, like, also annoying. I mean, it really came to a head for us, I think, during the pandemic, you know? And, like, we, I I personally believe that, like, we actually took a ratings hit because of it. Because we, and this is like crazy, but like because we were all openly vaccinated and like Uh talking about that. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I mean, that became a line where some people are on the other side of that line.
2: You know, and and listen, I'm sure we probably could have laid off a little bit more than we did. Uh, I mean, we definitely had our stances on things, but like no one thought we were going to be facing this as a topic. But then here we are, the three of us separated sitting in our homes without sports going on and it's like we we're still asked for 4 hours a day. Well, no sports are being played and I can't leave my house. And now someone famous is saying they won't get this vaccine that I, how do you avoid it? And but I really think that I still get the tweets daily. I mean, I get tweets daily with people like acting as if they won some argument against me. I'm like, I don't even understand. First of all, I'm not even having the argument anymore. And second of all, I'm not quite sure how you think you won. I don't even know what the hell we're talking about. Like, it's it's a crazy, it's a crazy, crazy world.
0: You're also, you're very much in the, the fighting world, in addition to, to some of these other worlds.
2: Play fighting the most, but I like all fighting. Yeah, sure.
0: Okay, yeah. I, that's, that's a part of the sports world that I'm never quite sure how to size it and how to evaluate it because... It's, you know, these big fights are huge events where there's tons of money pour in, people spending lots of money just to watch that one game. Whereas if you said, you know, watch $50 to watch this baseball game on TV, literally no one would. Um, At the same time, it's always... It always feels kind of culturally marginalized, maybe less so now, but it, you know, like MMA feels like sport number like six or seven on the like list of the most popular sports. When in reality, you talk to people, no, we're those worlds and they say, no, no, we're like number three. So anyway, um, if, if I could get your take on like where where fighting kind of fits into all this, is it a, it's cultural Island or like, not really.
2: You know, it's a really good question because, you know, I, I come from the music world and the big question, I feel like, a lot of times for an artist's popularity, like someone you know, someone will tell you, all all the kids love so and so. They're they're incredibly popular, and then you're like, well, wait, are they popular on TikTok, or have they sold shows and sh- and sold music yet? And and a lot of times, to me, the thing that differentiates popularity is someone's willingness to go do an activity, and, and or spend money on said thing, right? So. In using that logic, um, MM, UFC in particular, we were talking about fighting, is very popular because they put on an obscene amount of events, and they really get people to pay for it all the time. Um, they they do really solid numbers consistently, and if it's a big fight, they really do big numbers. Um so that's sort of an interesting question, right? Like you're wearing a devil's hat. Like, is hockey actually more popular than MMA? Yeah, probably I, not. I don't really know. but not, right? Yeah. Like, like, I have a hockey team I root for. I don't really watch them until the playoffs start. Like, I, I jump in. I'll go to a game a year. I'll, you know, but when push comes to shove, you know, will you spend money on the sport? And because of that, it's like you have to say MMA is incredibly popular. Boxing is sort of in a different spot, right? Boxing has now become, with very rare exceptions, like full-on niche. And and, and almost no exception. I mean, the only exception would be like a Logan Paul fight. But that's niche too. It's just a really big niche. Um, but like, you know, to think back of to my childhood, to where, like, there were a multitude of fighters where regular people were like, Are you watching the fight? It is so vastly different. And I think, as popular as MMA is, UFC is getting close to approximating that, but like nowhere near Tyson fight levels. And then, and then even below that, you know. When I was a little kid, Sugar Ray Leonard fights were a big deal. You know, there were those those middleweights of the 80s were all sort of a big deal. Um, and that kind of continued on through Pacquiao, Oscar De La Hoya, Mayweather. And, it, and Mayweather was sort of the end. And, it, and in some odd ways, whether fair or not, sometimes I almost blame him for it sort of fizzling with a lot of sort of fights that were letdowns. Um, getting people past their prime or uninteresting people. But like, yeah, man, it, it is a relatively niche thing when you compare it to a Mike Tyson fight in 1989 or 1996 when he came out of jail. It was just, what are you doing Saturday for the fight? That was the only, like, I don't know how old how, how old are you? Uh, I'm 41. So you're, yeah, you're you're close enough to at least remember. And when he fought Holyfield for the first time, Like not the bite fight, the one a year prior in 96, I was like a beginning of my senior year of high school. I think that was like anyone who had a social life was at a party for the fight. That was the only thing to do. And I just can't imagine now that happens very often unless it's the biggest UFC fight possible. And I would guess that's even still more niche than than boxing used to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And some of that's media fracturing where, you know, now, now there's like very little that everyone watches at the same time. But yeah, also I think that's, yeah, some kind of evolution in that in that world. Um, Got to let you go. But before that, um, you're a big Washington Commanders fan. This year, you know, is what it is. Broadly speaking, new ownership. Are you, are you happy
2: about, are, do you have hope as a fan? Yes, 100%. I'd be shocked to talk to anyone who didn't. Um, I I went into this season just saying this year is a win, like it's it's already a win, no matter what happens. Um, but I will tell you, like I, I, even what they did at the deadline to me was an indicator of a team that, even though it kind of hurt in the moment, like this is a team that's going to do things a little differently and that's going to try to like make hard decisions that make sense. You know, not losing Trent Williams because you did a bad job with his medical situation and he hates you but simply we're going to move forward from people because we need to get drafts uh draft picks and, and frankly i'm 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 very close i'm not there yet i'm very close to saying sam howell can actually play like i'm i'm right i am <laughs> i'm on a the game itch. or two away i'm a game <laughs> or two away from being like no 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 he's just he's the guy he's he's very very good and. Uh, No, I'm I'm hopeful, man. The Snyder curse is something I thought I'd never end. It's what it's maybe the worst thing I've ever. No, it is. It's the worst thing I've ever been through. Besides like the death of Reggie Lewis when I was a kid or Sean Taylor, like Dan Snyder is the worst thing I've ever been through as a sports fan. So we'll see what Josh Harris is, but there's no world in which he's not significantly better than Snyder.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Peter Rosenberg. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, dude. That's it for today. This happens to be my birthday. And listeners, you are the gift that keeps on giving. You are why I get to do this very fun job. So thank you. It's the best present I could hope for. If you want to put a bow on top of that, just take 30 seconds right now, go to your podcast app, go to Front Office Sports Today, drop us a rating and a review. I'd really appreciate it. Either way, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.